Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now bringing this week's message, our minister to students, Tony Richmond. In the book of Amos, God is depicted as a roaring lion. In Amos chapter 1 verse 2, it says the Lord roars from Zion. I can remember a few years ago when I was in college, I had the unique opportunity to go um, to South Africa for half of a summer. One of the most beautiful countries in all the, the world. We got to do some ministry there in South Africa, but one of the the neatest things we got to do was we got to go to what one of the what one of the greatest parks in the entire world, Kruger National Park. And I'm not sure if you know much about wildlife or anything like that, but Kruger National Park in South Africa is kind of the place to go to see animals. Uh, in the wild, sort of in their element. So I remember one morning we woke up and we got in this little Jeep that had like the stadium seating so everybody could see good. And we departed out of the little village there. And on the front of the, the Jeep, like in the very front on the bumper, there was a chair. And this guy gets up and he's riding on the bumper of this chair right at the very front of the car and he's holding this big huge gun like rifle thing. So as we're departing, the guy that's driving the little Jeep says, I need to tell you all something about what you're about to experience. So this game reserve, Kruger National Park, is made up of millions of acres of land. It's this sprawling expanse. And what you all need to know is this. The animals that you're going to see today are wild in every sense of the word. They are not fed. If they would like to eat, they must kill to eat. Therefore, this man that's sitting up here at the front of the Jeep is your protection. It doesn't happen very often. But just in case something goes wrong, he is there to protect you. So it was incredible. At one point, we were driving through these tall trees. And we looked over, and we are literally running, I don't know what you call like a pack of giraffes or what, but there's a group of giraffes running through the forest, and we are riding right alongside of them. I mean, it was truly awe-inspiring. It was awesome. But then the greatest part of it was we pull up to this pride of lions who overnight had made a kill. And they were eating this gazelle. And I don't want to get those pictures in your mind. But it was, it was awesome. I mean, these are wild animals. And they are eating their prey and just the majesty and just seeing that. And so we're sitting there and we're looking at, and you would think like this guy just said, these are wild animals. But he pulls up, I think, like right next to him. 
like, could you back us up a little? But we're sitting there, we're watching, everybody's sort of taking pictures. And one of the girls in our group had her camera and she she's taking pictures and she sort of fumbled, the, the, the camera fumbles out of her hands. And she goes to catch it and she makes like this pretty drag. And all of those lines at the same time, like the instinct, like they saw it and instinctually they turn and one of them, not a full roar, but he gave off a little something, you know. And immediately, we be, some of the people in our group begin to cry. The intensity, the volume, the depth of that was something that was unmistakable. There was fear for a moment when all of those lions flinched in our direction. In God's word in the book of Amos, Amos is coming as a prophet, the mouthpiece of God. And he's calling to God's people. And he's saying, God is roaring. God is warning you. God is warning us that if we continue in this sin, if we continue with the way that we're living, He will judge us. The unfortunate part of that was Israel wasn't having much of this message. They weren't listening very closely. It's important for us to understand what's going on here. Who's the enemy? In the book of Amos, there's a lot of talk about God raising up a nation. In fact, in chapter 6 at the end, verse 14, if you'll look at it, God says, For behold, I will raise up a nation against you. O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. So we may read this passage, we may read this book and say, well, the problem was there was a nation from the north who had this pretty awesome military. And so what Israel needed to do was to buff up their military powers to be a little more strategic, to build a little higher wall and defense mechanism, and that would, and then they would be safe. The problem with that is that Assyria was not the enemy, the true enemy. Look at the passage says, God is speaking, and he says, I will raise up a na- our nation against you, declares the Lord. So God is behind this nation that's going to come and take over. So then is God the nation of Israel's enemy? Of course not. Over and over throughout the story of these people, God has promised, you are my people. I love you. I care about you. Those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Those who curse you, I'm going to curse. So God has this intimate relationship with these His people. So God is not the enemy. Then who is the real enemy? Look at it in verse 8. Amos 6 eight. God shows us what the real enemy was. He says this, I abhor the pride of Jacob. Or your version may say, I despise the arrogance of Jacob. The problem with the nation of Israel in the book of Amos, 
was that they were all about themselves. They were all about me. They had grown complacent. Their prosperity at this point that they had been experiencing had led them to this prideful, arrogant spirit. To put it simply, their hearts were just exposed. Their hearts were exposed before God. Their pride was shown. They had this deep-rooted self-centeredness. So the real enemy was not Assyria. The real enemy was not God who used the Assyrians. The real enemy of Israel was themselves. Their self-security, their pride, and their arrogance. And brothers and sisters, lest we believe that this is outdated and irrelevant, the problem in 7th century B.C., the problem of pride with the nation of Israel is the pride in 20th century A.D. It's our problem. It's a problem of pride. All the way from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden, when, the, when Satan tempted them, how did he tempt them? He appealed to their pride. They wanted to be wise. They wanted to be like God. And so they fell into this sin and rebellion against God. So from that point forward, all of us have been infected with this sickness, with this depravity that manifests itself with this all-about-me attitude. So in this passage, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see the effects of a prideful spirit. When, when this nation was so prideful, God points out, here's what is happening because you are so prideful. And here's the thing, here's the reason, one of the reasons why pride is so dangerous, while it's so de- debilitating. It's because how do you help a prideful person see that they're prideful? How do you help an arrogant person see that they're arrogant, right? I mean, we're pretty good at looking at other people and noticing that. We're pretty good at looking at that person. Oh, look at, look at him. Look how prideful he is. Look at arrogant, how arrogant he is. Or look at that neighbor. Or look at that church. Look how arrogant they are. Look at what they're doing. They're all about themselves. We're pretty good at doing that. But when it comes down to us searching our own hearts for pride, that's where we struggle. That's where the struggle was for the nation of Israel. After all, remember, in chapters 1 and 2, what was going on? God was calling, He was telling His people, the Egyptians, those pagans, what's going to happen? My judgment's coming on them. These other nations around who are not living for the Lord. God's justice is coming on them. And it's almost as if in the background, you can hear God's people saying, Amen, God. Yeah, they're not living for you. Look, they think, look, they think they're somebody. They think they're all about themselves. They deserve your judgment. And then God turns it onto his people. And you can almost hear him saying, Whoa, 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 whoa. Your judgment is meant for them, not us. And God is saying, 
Examine your own hearts. Examine yourselves. And so that's where we're at this morning. In Amos chapter 6, God is roaring. He's warning them. My judgment is coming. And here's the incredible thing about what's going on. In light of God's judgment, God's people are marked with complacency and arrogance. They're unfazed by the judgment of God. Okay, God. They're unfazed by it. They're marked by this pride and complacency. How do we see it? Let's look in verse 2. Look what God reminds them of. He says this, chapter 6, verse 2. God says, Press over to Kalna and see. From there go to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or, or is their territory greater than your territory? See, the nation of Israel was caught up in comparisons. Oh well, we're not like them. We're greater than, than they are. And God reminds them, okay, you want to talk about comparisons? Let's look where these great nations are. These nations that God has listed here at one time were great nations, were powerful nations. But at this point, they were in ruin. They were destroyed. So God says, okay, if you want to talk about comparisons, let's compare. This is where you're headed. You're headed to the destruction of a nation just like these people were. And isn't that what we're so good at? Don't we see our pride creeping in in this way where we compare ourselves to others? Well, in light of that person, look at me. I mean, in light of that church, look at this church. Aren't we so great? God says, enough of that. The comparison is not us and them. The comparison is us and the Lord. And saying, God, how, how are we being obedient? How are we following you? How are we giving our lives for you? We can think about this maybe in spiritual terms. I've been in church all my life. I've given countless dollars to the mission of God. I've gone on this many mission trips. I have, I have, I have. God's word for us this morning is, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do because what God followed this up with is down in chapter in verse 13. Look at what it says. Chapter 6, 13, God says, you are rejoicing. It says this, you who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, have we not by our own strength captured Carnium for ourselves? Did you hear it? By our own strength and for ourselves. How arrogant. This is the nation who was in Egyptian bondage and slavery. And were it not for a miracle of God releasing them, they would have still been there. And over and over in their history, the divine intervention of God. And now they've gotten to a point where they said, look at what we have done. Look at what we have done for ourselves. In our context, 
It might be like this. Look at this home I've built. Look at this family I've worked so hard to build. Look at our nice house and our nice cars. Look at what my hard work has done for us. If we're not careful, we can say, look at this church. Look at what we've built. Look, we've been so faithful. Look at what we have done. Listen, folks, the message of the book of Amos is this. We haven't done anything. If there's anything good that God has accomplished in our lives personally or in our life corporately, it can only be ascribed to the glory of God and the power of God. That's it. It's not about what we have done. And he goes on to say this about them. Look in verse 3. He says, chapter 6, verse 3, O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. The judgment of God was coming and their response was to stick their head in the sand and act as if they were good. Basically, their idea was to live in a fantasy world. To just act like nothing was going to happen instead of coming to the realization that this was God speaking and warning them. As I thought about this, I thought about when I was in grade school, elementary school, and I can remember a lot of our teachers, some of our students might identify with this today, they would give us a heads up when report cards would be going home. Right? They'd be like, in three weeks, we're sending report cards home. Now, if you were like me, and you sort of struggled in school, that means you need to re-up. You need to make sure you study a little harder, you turn in your assignments on time, because here's what I knew growing up. When my dad got the report card, there was going to be a reckoning, right? I was going to have to give an account for what was on there. I would have been foolish to say, oh, that report card, no big deal. That wouldn't have changed my dad's reaction, right? That wouldn't have changed anything. And so Amos is telling us, he's telling the nation of Israel, he's saying, look, the report card is coming home. What are you going to do about it? What is going to be your response? Are you just going to act like it's okay? Are you going to see your pride and your sin for what it is that we may turn from it and return back to the Lord? Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in this morning, the report cards are coming home. Now, in the book of Amos, God gives us the effects of this attitude, the practical application for what was happening, I think would be helpful for us. Because remember, we're not here this morning to talk about this person or that person. We're here to examine our own hearts. And here are some characteristics of a prideful heart that I think can help us with this application. Look back in chapter 4, verse 6. The first implication of a prideful heart is an unrepentant spirit. An unrepentant spirit. 
Amos 4, 6. Brother Keith preached about this last week, but as a reminder, look what he says. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. God says, I'm the one that caused this famine. I'm the one that caused this destruction. The purpose behind it was for that so that you could see your total need for me, so that you would repent and return back to me. But in the case of the Israelites, they didn't do that. In the face of these things, they maintained an unrepentant spirit. This is a detrimental characteristic of pride. The prideful soul or the prideful spirit sees no reason to repent. Repentance is for somebody else. That's what a prideful soul says. Repentance is for those people who, man, they've messed up big time. That's what a prideful heart says. God is calling us to explore the dark portions of our heart and say, in our pride, how can we stand before a holy God? I'm ashamed to confess to you all this morning that there are many weeks, there are many days that I study this and I walk away unchanged. What a prideful spirit. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this incredible vision of who God is. Remember, it's the one where the angels are crying out, holy, 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 and it's this awe-inspiring vision of God. Do you remember Isaiah's response to that vision? The Scripture says he falls down on his face before the Lord, and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. That is the antithesis to a prideful spirit. That is the antithesis to an unrepentant spirit that every time we get a picture of who God is, we're led to humility. We're led to confession and to repentance, crying out, God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. I'm turning from that to serve you. They have this disease, unrepentant spirits. But also another characteristic of their pride came out like this. They were big on the religious ceremony and not so big on the obedience. They were big on the religious ceremony and not so big on the obedience. They'd become all about the feasts, the services. The problem was that these religious ceremonies had become an end in and of themselves. The way that we know that is because they were all about the religious ceremony and none about the obedience. In contemporary terms, They were all about what they could do while they were at church and not much about what they could do while they were at home, at work, 
are living their lives. They had this obedience problem. They would rather come to a service and amen a pastor at the good points that he makes than to invite the Spirit of God to activate the truths in their own lives and to be changed. How prideful. Amos chapter 5, just listen to this, verse 21. God said this, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your hearts, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says this, you can take your religious ceremony that's void of obedience, you can put it in a box, and you can throw it away because it's worthless. The good things had become worthless because they were severed from an obedient life. Listen, brothers and sisters, with all the compassion that I, I have within me this morning, coming to church is not enough. Coming and giving God a little lip service for an hour on Sunday mornings will not do it for a holy and righteous God. He wants our life. He wants all of it. That's what he's saying to his people. That's what he's saying to us. Then it starts to look like this. Since they weren't obedient, in chapter 6, at the end of verse 12, but you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood or bitterness. You see it? They have taken God's justice and somehow in their pride, they've used it for poison to damage. He drives it home to them. And he drives it home to us. Listen to it in the words of the prophet Amos in chapter in verse 4. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music. You're drinking wine in bowls and anointing yourselves with the finest oils, but you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Look at what they were consumed with. Beds. Don't need to say any more than that. Couches. Comfort. Wine. This out of control sort of lifestyle. The scripture says here that they'd embraced all the amenities of the culture. It says they brought in music. They were trying to, to, to bring in so much stuff to, to satisfy their own pride. At the end here, verse 6, anoints themselves with the finest oils. I mean, think about this. At this point, the nation of Israel 
was consumed with getting the finest oils from all over the world imported so that they could put them on their bodies and perfume themselves. But you are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They were all about themselves and there was all kind of injustice going on. We live in this way in reality. We're consumed with us. And while we're standing idly by, applying the best lotions to our body, a child under the age of five in Calcutta has died every minute I've been preaching this morning. 22,000 children die every day around the world due to preventable disease or hunger-related illnesses. To put that in perspective, the entire Keller ISD school district would die every two days. That's how many children are dying. 115,000 children die every day in the world at the hands of abortion doctors and terrified moms and dads. We're talking about the massacre of 42 million babies every year. Approximately 153 million children live as orphans in the world. More than 250,000 children enter foster care in our country every year. And the reports are that last night there was a child removed from a home where they were either severely neglected or abused. And because there were not enough homes to take these kids, they're sleeping in state offices on cots. There are two billion people in the world with no access to the gospel message. They're unreached and they're hopelessly lost unless someone were to take the gospel to them. Are we sitting idly by on our couches enjoying our amenities and applying our lotions while these realities are happening every day in our world? The indictment upon the nation of Israel is clear and it's cutting. The indictment on our pride and our self-centeredness is clear and it's cutting. But brothers and sisters, this indictment is not meant to paralyze us. It's not meant for us to hear these words and step back and say, well, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. It's meant as it was in the days of uh, prophet Amos to do the same thing in our life today is to cause us to turn from our self-centeredness and give our lives wholly to God. Say, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Regardless of my comfort, regardless of my place, regardless of anything that's about me, this is for you. Let me end with one more passage this morning. In the midst of this indictment and these very difficult 
words from the prophet Amos. He gives hope. He gives a message of hope. Look at it in Amos 5 verse 14. Amos 5 verse 14. Look at what God says. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you've said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is the message for us. It's not a message of guilt and hopelessness. It's a message of our need to turn to God in repentance, to love Him with all of our hearts. And in that love, the outpouring of that, the result of that, is that we will hate evil. We will love what is good. And we will seek to establish that justice. Is the Spirit of God working in your heart this morning? Dare we not be the nation of Israel who would hear these words from God and walk away with an unchanged spirit? But may we be the people of God who run to Him who rejoice in Him. After all, we sang, He's the Lion and the Lamb. He's the one who judges and He's the one who was judged on the cross 2,000 years ago when He laid down His life for our pride. We can rejoice in that. We can say amen to that. It's because of that message of the Gospel that we have hope And we have salvation. You may be thinking of a day in the future where you'll get right with the Lord. Where you'll surrender everything and you'll give your life wholly to Him. Maybe you think, when I get my affairs or my life, when I get it straightened out, I'll give my life to the Lord. Here's what you need to know. About 50 or 60 years after the prophet Amos brought this word to the nation of Israel. Assyria came down from the north and they experienced the full judgment of God. Maybe there was a person sitting under Amos who said, when I do this or that, I'll get right with God. And maybe that time never came. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. So if the Lord is working in your heart this morning, don't wait Don't drown him out. Don't push him away. Receive the working of the the Lord in your heart as we respond. I've tried to preach to you today the Word of God as best as my spiritual understanding allows. Both you as the listener and me as the proclaimer will be held accountable before God for what we do with the message of His Word today. Let's pray. God, you call us to deep devotion to you. You call us to Christ-like action. And God, we corporately come together this morning to say, forgive us 
We confess our pride to you. We confess of this awful, devastating mindset of unrepentance. God, we want to, as your word says in 1 John, that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and are just to forgive us of our sin. So God, in repentance with humility this morning, we repent, we confess, we turn away from pride and self-centeredness and we turn toward total devotion and love for you. God, we believe that your word teaches that when we love you with all of our hearts and all of our souls, with all of our minds and all of our strength, that you teach us to love our neighbor, to establish justice and to seek good. So God, whatever that means for our lives this morning, God, would you prick our hearts that we may walk away changed, transformed, to love you and to love others. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.